All right, let's drop into, first of all, the resurrection account that's told in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 and 5. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. I want to read from Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12. This is Paul's heart. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship or participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Near the end of his life, Steve Jobs mused about the possibility of an afterlife. He said this, For most of my life, I've felt that there must be more to our existence than meets the eye. I like to think that something survives after you die. But on the other hand, perhaps it's like an on-off switch. Click, and you're gone. Then he smiled slightly and he said, maybe that's why I never like putting on-off switches on Apple devices. God did not install an on-off switch on us. And yet, the metaphor that he uses of power on is life and power off is death, I think is an apt description. When a baby is conceived in the womb, God flips on the on switch for life. It's mysterious. We don't understand it. But he flips the on switch of life. And then at some point, that switch is turned off and we die. On Good Friday, we uh, meditated and celebrated the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I want to point out, Jesus had an unusual relationship with death. On the cross, after he cried out, it is finished, after he finished the redemptive work of of paying for all our sins, Jesus then cried out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And the Bible says he gave up his spirit. Jesus Switch the power off. For most of us, death comes to us, overcomes us, and flips the switch off whether we want it to or not. But not Jesus. Death didn't come to Jesus. Jesus ran to death. He ran to death, and He took the switch, and He switched it off. And He gave up His Spirit. Jesus was Lord of everything, even death. 
And then after lying in a dark, cold tomb for three days on that first Easter morning, Jesus switched the power back on. He switched the on switch to life again, and life flowed through his veins, but not the same kind of life, resurrection life. The angel said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. This hope we have, that because he rose from the grave, we who believe in Jesus Christ will also rise from the dead, is is perhaps the greatest hope that believers have. The greatest hope that believers have. The grave is not the final word. We will all die unless the Lord returns. But the Bible says when the Christian dies, they fall asleep. That's it. They fall asleep. To be awakened again on that last day of resurrection. Easter morning is all about His resurrection and our hope that we will rise again as well. And I love that hope. And I want to spend a little time as we close this message on that hope. But before we do that, I want us to realize that the, to the Christian, resurrection isn't just something that happens after we die. Resurrection power is available for us right here, right now. The on switch of resurrection life is on for the believer. It's on. If you're a Christian, resurrection life switch, it's on. So the question is, why are we not experiencing more of it? This is, this is, my, this is our 19th uh, Easter here at this church. So I'm pretty sure I've preached 19 sermons on Easter, and I'm pretty sure all of them have been about resurrection. That just seems to be the only topic for Easter morning. Amen? And I'm also pretty sure that at some point in every one of those sermons, I talked about experiencing resurrection in this life, that that there is resurrection power, resurrection life for us right here, the newness of life that Christ gives us. Resurrection isn't just something that happens after we die. But let's be honest a little bit with ourselves and say, are we really experiencing the resurrection life and power to the degree that is available to us? What even is resurrection power in our lives? What does it even look like right here and now? For the believer who's stressed out, What does resurrection power look like? For the believer struggling with depression or anger or loneliness or fear or insecurity, what does resurrection power look like in such a life? For the believer that's in a bad, struggling marriage or has a trail of conflict and broken relationships behind them, what does resurrection power look like? If resurrection power raises us above all these things, why are so few of us experiencing that? I've been wrestling with that question myself. Personally, this week, what does resurrection power look like for you and for me right here? right now. I believe Paul 
gives us a very practical key to experiencing resurrection power in our lives. Let me read that verse again from Philippians chapter 3. It says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and fellowship in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Oh, I love Paul's heart here. His highest ambition in life was to know Christ. Earlier in this passage, Paul says, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ makes everything else worthless in his eyes. Every other treasure he was pursuing in life has become worthless compared to surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Paul wants to know Christ, not just know about him, not just know what he said, not just know what he did, but to know Jesus Christ. And he says, I want to know Jesus in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And I don't know about you, but if we're really, really just getting down to honest, it almost feels like he ruins a a perfectly good verse there. You know? I want to know Jesus. Amen. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Amen. And in the fellowship of his sufferings. It's quiet all of a sudden. I'm not sure I want to say amen to that. It's like he just, man, you know, this is Easter morning. I don't want to talk about fellowship of sufferings. Can we just pass on that? The answer is no. Resurrection and sufferings go together. Without a good Friday, there is no Easter Sunday. There is no resurrection without a death. Jesus had to suffer in order to save. He had to go down in order to go up and bring us with him. And he calls us to follow in his pattern. So I want to, again, repeat, I want to encourage you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the switch, the resurrection life switch on you is on. It's on. Believe that. If the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it shall quicken your mortal body. You say, well, I don't know if that same spirit. Well, all who are believers in Christ have the Holy Spirit. So the switch is on. But how do we experience that power in our lives in a practical, practical way? And how do we deal with the question, why am I not experiencing more of that resurrection power? I think the answer is there can't be a resurrection until there's first a death. We can't rise up in newness of life until our old life, our flesh, has been put to death. Resurrection life isn't this veneer we just kind of nail on over on top of our old flesh. The first home that Janice and I owned uh, back on Long Island had a, uh, a high window in the shower. And over time, the water would just kind of collect in the sill And after a while, it began to, unbeknownst to us, rot away in the wood. And we didn't know that was going on until the sheetrock began to rot away and a hole began to develop in the side of our shower. 
And so after a while, that hole got too big to ignore. So me, being the master carpenter that I am, Micah, if you ever need like a hand, think of me. I taped a, I took a white garbage bag and I cut it open and taped it over the hole. And I thought it actually looked pretty good. And it actually lasted for quite a while there. But there was rot, not only in the sheetrock, but in the wood and in the studs. And a plastic garbage bag taped over it was not going to fix the problem. We had to have a friend come in who knocked out the wall and rebuilt it. Trying to apply resurrection life over the rot of our flesh is like trying to fix rotten wood by painting it. Maybe if I put more paint on it, it'll fix that rotten wood or a garbage bag over it. It might look better, but underneath that rot is still there. The Bible tells us that for the Christian life and in the Christian the Christian power, there is a pattern of dying with Christ and then rising with Christ, what Paul Miller calls the J-curve. It is a series of many deaths and many resurrections that go on in our lives. For instance, if we have pride and we just tape uh, a superficial covering of resurrection power over that pride, you know what? We become religious snobs, which, by the way, I think religious snobs are the worst kind of snobs in the world. Amen? Amen. You can say that because you're not a religious now. We need to die to our pride in order to rise up in the newness of Christ's humility. We might find ourselves, therefore, in situations where our pride wants to rise up. We want to boast. We want to promote ourselves. We want to exalt ourselves. And Jesus says, die to that. Die to that. And it's a real death. And it's painful. But in that death, there is a sweet fellowship with Jesus. And on the other side, there's a resurrection of newness, of humility in us. A series of many deaths and many resurrections. If we want to love others with the love of Christ, we can't do that in the power of our flesh. We can't put on the superficial face of love while underneath is hitting all the rot of envy and selfishness and, and apathy and, and pride. And so to help us with that, God puts us in relationships. Maybe you're in a relationship right now where that stuff rises up. The, the envy, the pride, the apathy, whatever it is. The situations and relationships, that stuff begins to rise to the surface. <clears throat> and Jesus says, die to that. Die to that. And it doesn't feel good. It feels like death. Maybe we're hurt. Maybe we're offended by someone or something. And our flesh wants to lash out and hurt them back. And Jesus says, die to that and forgive them. Die to that and forgive them. And it's a real death. 
But there's fellowship with Jesus in that death, in the death. I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. And on the other side of it, there's real resurrection. Maybe, and I just want to kind of throw some things out because I'm, I figure if I scatter this wide enough, I'm going to hit somebody or maybe everybody at some point. Maybe we have a desire for control. Don't raise your hand, but inside, say amen. If that's you, I want control. I don't feel peace unless I'm in control. I don't feel peace unless my hand is on the steering wheel of my life. And I'm like, God, take control. And God says, well, yeah, but you're white knuckling it. We pray, but we may live as if it all is up to us. I need control. And Jesus says, die to that. And there's a real death. But again, there's a sweet fellowship with Jesus as we trust God. And maybe somebody here, you you know, we want a witness for Jesus, but we also crave the approval of people. And we feel like if we tell people we are Christians, if we stand up for Jesus, maybe we will lose their approval and And so maybe we keep our mouth shut. And Jesus says, you know that craving for people's approval, that I, my worth depends on what people say about me, think about me, whether they applaud me. Jesus says, die to that. Jesus didn't live for that. He didn't live for that. He says to us, die to that. And as we die to that craving for the approval of people, There's fellowship with Jesus, and there's resurrection on the other side. As we die to our sinful desires, it is death. But in that death, in that suffering, even many sufferings, there is a deeper fellowship with Jesus. And on the other side, a resurrection of newness of life. Now, when Nick pulled off that garbage bag, He couldn't just patch up a hole. He had to literally rip out the entire wall of our bathroom, which was, you know, basically faced outside, which means we had no wall in our bathroom. Our bathroom was, for a time, exposed completely to the world. And sometimes that's how it feels like when God's dealing with us. We want the power of the resurrection to make us strong and competent and look able and all these good things and God says I'm going to give you the power of the resurrection and suddenly we feel humbled and exposed and vulnerable and weak to the world because he's not after us looking powerful he's after us dying to our flesh humbling our souls and rising again in newness of Christ's life So God might be working in your life. He might be pulling you right down to the studs. You know, ever had that happen where God's working on your heart right down to the studs? Embrace it. But don't just embrace it. Draw near to Christ. There's fellowship with Jesus in that. And there's resurrection life on the other side. Now, I want to just, this gives us a new way to look at the challenges in our lives. New way to look at whatever challenge or whatever suffering is going on in our lives. The J-curve that we're, we're to imitate the pattern of Jesus. We humble ourselves. We go down. We allow the Lord to bring the, the fellowship of suffering and have a mini death in our lives through that thing so that he then, we draw closer to him. We know him better, which is worth more than 
everything in the world, and then on the other side, we experience a newness of life in Christ. We join Jesus, and I think this is what Paul's talking about. He's not saying, boy, I hope that I get enough of this in my life that I somehow get resurrected on the last day. He's talking about daily deaths and resurrections, many deaths, many resurrections, so that he might live in the power of Christ. And that's what God has for us, too. And the the life switch is on. Now, I want to just close by just reminding us the ultimate joy and hope of Easter morning is that because Jesus rose from the dead, we will rise from the dead too. The grave isn't the end of the story. Jesus' tomb is empty. One day, our tomb will be empty as well. A couple of weeks ago, I got an email from a woman I, I don't know. She doesn't know me. She lives in Michigan. And I got this email. She's a writer a journalist, and she came across a couple of poems that my dad wrote way back in the 60s. A couple of poems that were still in print. And she was touched deeply by those poems. And she wrote to me, she said, I hope you're the Alan Snap, who is the son of Thomas Snap. And uh, she said, I, I want to know more about him. I feel like there's little known about him. He wrote by way in Michigan. He went to the University of Michigan. He had things published there. And I'd like to write maybe even a little piece on his life because I feel like he's been underappreciated. But I've only got two poems or three poems available. And she wanted to know if I had any other of his poems or if there was anything else I could share about my dad's life. And so I, I pulled out the copies of his poems that I have. They're written on the paper he wrote them on. He typewrite, typewriter. Remember those? They're typewritten. And a couple of them have his handwriting on the side margins. And so uh, I pulled these uh, poems out, and my son Matthew came in my office as I was reading to them. So I said, I, uh, Matt, I want to read to you my favorite poem that my dad wrote. It's called Night Running. I think it's my favorite because it's about him and I running. We would sometimes run at night together. And he wrote this poem. Now, I want to just read a little portion of it. And I hope I can get through it. Um, He writes, I like this part of town for the way it runs after dark. With its trees when my son is with me. I sense him running into me when he tries to match my stride. Side by side, a moment only, under a streetlight. A fast boy and his father running into the change which leaves the boy flashing alone into the staggered trees. There's more to the poem, but I'm reading it, and I am crying. I'm like, I'm just getting choked up. I can't read it. Matt's standing there, and now he's beginning to tear up, and he actually starts to comfort me. It's okay, Dad. And I'm there crying, and it was a sweet moment. Now, my dad's been gone for 41 years, so this is not a fresh loss for me. But when we lose someone we love, it leaves a gap that's too deep for words. That person is gone. Their voice, their personality, their memories, their, our, our interactions, they are not here. Everything they were is gone. 
switch is turned off. But for the Christian, we have this hope. They're not gone. The switch of this body was turned off. A better switch was turned on. And one day, the ultimate switch of resurrection life will be turned on. The grave is not the end. The boy that was left flashing alone into the staggered trees will one day run again with his father. Father and son running again. And I don't say this because this is unique to my situation, but because every single one of you have lost a loved one, someone you cared about, and you're not running alongside of them anymore. The change left you running alone. And one day, unless the Lord returns, we will be the one who stops running. And the change will leave others running alone into the staggered trees. But praise be to God, praise be to our Savior, that we, that's just falling asleep, and we will rise again in newness of life and be reunited with those we have lost, who we love, never to die again. What a hope. That empty tomb shouts out to us what a hope it leaves us with. Jesus lay in that cold grave, dead, life switched off. And then early on that Easter morning, no one in that tomb but Jesus, he turned the switch on. By the power of the Holy Spirit, at the command of the Father, this was a Trinity event, he turned that switch on in life, resurrection life, rose through him and he rose up again, never to die in the same way we will have that switch turned on and we will live forever with the Lord. Why do you search for the living among the dead? The angel said, he is not here. He has risen. Let's pray. Father, we just love so many things about Easter morning, but perhaps nothing more than the fact that It has completely changed our understanding and definition of what life is. It's not a brief little thing here on earth and then then gone. It's a brief thing here on earth and then new life, resurrection life. May that hope, Lord, ring in our hearts. May it ring in our hearts. May we just experience fresh hope. And I pray especially, Lord, for anyone who's struggling with hopelessness or discouragement in their lives, that this hope would be like the sun shining in a dark place, bringing new life, new hope, new power to them. And I pray for any of us, Lord, who are struggling with the loss of loved ones, that we would also realize, Lord, it is a sad goodbye, but there will be a happy hello on the other side of this brief life. And we look forward to that. And thank you, Lord. It is all because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.